I can remember when, uh, during my younger days, when I would occasionally, very occasionally, worship with the Roman Catholic Church. And it was an interesting event uh, in contrast to what we typically do here. If you've ever been to uh, a Catholic service, then you would find it, um, like for instance, you walk in, we, at least where I was, I walked into a very dark auditorium. A um, lot of dark wood is one of the things that I remember. And there were statues everywhere. At the front, there was an altar. And it wasn't just uh, a place for someone to set some trays for the Lord's Supper. It was an altar. And there were multicolored cloths. And the pulpit area was ornate and huge with lots of beautiful wood. And it was uh, quite an experience. I have to say that when you went into a place like that, there was a sense of reverence and awe that was just kind of instilled in you. You walked in and it just... It made you pause. You, you thought to yourself, I am entering a place that is different than the places I normally go. And so a park is different than that kind of atmosphere. A school is different than that kind of atmosphere. A movie theater is different than that kind of atmosphere. You're still with pe- groups of people in those places, but it's completely different. And you would find it silent and reverent and religious. It had that sense of religiosity about it. And you did wonder if somehow God wasn't in the room with you. Well, I I had that experience numerous times growing up. And it was just interesting to to have it be so much different when I started attending Churches of Christ. And here we are far less formal. And we might talk jovially during an assembly. We might laugh. We, uh, you know, Michael can make jokes about me. And uh, you all laugh at my expense. And and, and speaking of that, I'm really ticked off. (laughs) No, um, it's just a different kind of atmosphere. And we don't have the statues on the wall. And uh, we sometimes turn the lights down. But it's not necessarily just dark in here. And it's not a dark presence. It's not a dark atmosphere. We would still like to think that you would find God in this place. But in a completely different way. Usually far more relational. I can remember going to the Catholic Church for years. Again, occasionally. But I don't know that I hardly ever talked to anyone when I was there. You would go in, you were silent, you were silent the whole time, and then you left, and there was no communication. The only person who ever talked during the assembly was the priest. And you'd walk out, and he might greet you at the door and say goodbye, but that was about all the conversation anybody would have. It just wasn't relational in any way. And there wasn't this sense of community. So we do things, I hope, differently. I hope you do have a sense of community when you come here. And if somebody doesn't talk to you today, especially if you're a guest and somebody doesn't talk to you today, then you should give me a call and say, nobody talked to me today. And then I will, next Sunday, ream us all out (laughs) for not talking to each other. (laughs) Because we need to do that. Well, those were some stark differences. But there is one thing that is very much the same between whatever experience I had in the Roman Catholic Church and the experience that I have here. And that is this notion of going to church. I'm not sure that despite our relationality and the attempt to be less formal and less ritualistic, I'm not sure that we have entirely escaped the notion that one goes to church. And we talk about this. We talk about how we don't want to just go to church. In fact, this isn't a church, really, in terms of a building. This is the church. There used to be a song that a cappella vocal band sang that went, 
you can't go to church because the church is you. Okay? You can't go to church because the church is you. And that's right. So we don't just go to church. We go to an assembly and we come here. But there's still in our minds, even in this day and age and after all these years, this sense that this is where church is. This is where it happens. We go to church on Sunday morning. And even the sermon time, like you all look at me and you all have just these looks on your faces. We have to do this again. This is our ritual. This is what we do on Sunday mornings. The bald guy stands up and talks. Somebody makes a few jokes about him and then he stands up and talks. Well, one of the things that I want to talk about this morning is just how, how different we want this to be. And it's not just that we want our assembly to be different. That's not the point. The point is, is that we really want the church to be different. We want the whole notion of what it means to be church to be different. Church is not something we should come to do on Sunday morning. Church is something that we, in fact, are a group of God's people. And not only do we not want to frame what we are as church around this building and what happens on Sunday morning, but I'd like us to think in completely different terms about what it means at all to be church. And here's what I mean. I want you to look at these verses from 1 Corinthians chapter 5. I'm in verse 9. And Paul has a problem in the church There are some immoral people in the congregation and Paul doesn't know what to do completely with this. Or maybe I should say they don't know what to do with this. And Paul wants to give them some instructions. So he says in verse 9, I have written you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. And that's what they have. Okay, there's some people there who are just the the culture in which they were living was very sexually oriented. Does this sound familiar? And there was lots of morality and it was easy for the church to just get caught up in that. And Paul doesn't want them to. And he doesn't want them to just tolerate it in their assembly. So he says, I've written you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you'd have to leave this world. But now I'm writing you that you must not associate with anyone who calls himself a brother, but is sexually immoral or greedy or idolater or slander or drunkard or swindler with such a man don't even eat. And you think, how in the world does that connect to what the church is, Kelly? What are you talking about here? Well, here's the point. I find it so interesting that Paul specifically says, I don't want you to stop associating with the people from the world who are like this. And he as much says, when a brother or sister is like this, separate yourself from them because they, as he says up further, They are bad leaven, and the leaven goes into a loaf of bread and distorts the whole thing. So we have to be careful about bad leaven among us. But he says, you are going to find yourself in the world, and you can't possibly leave all of this stuff in the world. If you did, you'd have to just leave the world. And Paul doesn't want us to leave the world. Why does he not? He doesn't want us to leave the world because the world needs us so badly. And so when we think about what it means to be church, one of the things that it means to be church is not to come together on Sunday morning. And I'm not saying we shouldn't do that, of course. But that to be the church means to go 
into the world where those people are and be with them there. And there's a sense in which if we're not doing that, we can't be the church. Because the church, Paul says, won't separate itself from these people, but will in fact be around those people. Now what I'm going to do this morning is I'm going to go through a whole bunch of scriptures from the book of Matthew. And I want you to just flip with me real quick as we go through these. And and I'm not going to take a long time on each one, but I want you to see the pattern here. Beginning with Matthew chapter 4, verse 23. So turn back to the book of Matthew. I'm going to use a word here that I'm just going to define quickly. The word inclusio. Okay? The word inclusio means to start and finish with the same thing. With a bunch of stuff in the middle that examples what it is that you're starting and finishing with. Okay? An inclusio. I start and finish with the same thing, and the stuff in between examples what I'm starting and finishing with. Watch this. Matthew chapter verse 20, uh, uh, 4, verse 23. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. Now, just keep your finger there and go over to Matthew 9.35. Matthew 4.23 is the start of a section in the book of Matthew. Matthew 9.35 wraps it up. Look at 9.35. It says, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. Do you notice the similarities? Verse 4.23 and 9.35 say virtually the same thing. Now, what do you think is in between? Examples of Jesus doing exactly that. Now notice in 435 or 423 and in 935 how Jesus is not just sitting around church on Sunday morning. Do you notice that? He's not sitting around in church on Sunday morning. Instead, what we find is Jesus is out preaching the kingdom. He's healing the sicknesses and the diseases. He's being with people. Now watch what he does in the verses that I'm about to show you. First of all, we won't go through all of this. In Matthew 5, 6, and 7, Jesus is teaching. He's not in the synagogue specifically. In fact, he's up on a mountainside, but he's teaching all the people. It's known as the Sermon on the Mount. It's one of the most um, complete sections of teaching by Jesus in the New Testament. So he's doing exactly what 423 and 935 say he's going to do. He's teaching. Now look at chapter 8, verse 1. So we got 5, 6, and 7, which is teaching. And then in chapter 8, verse 1, it says, When he came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately he was cured of his leprosy. Do you know why that could happen? It happened because Jesus consistently found himself among the people. Large crowds are following him everywhere, and he makes absolutely no attempt to avoid them. He puts himself right in the middle of those people. In fact, he is so much in the middle of them that a leper can come up and talk to him. And like we can't begin in our day to make a comparison between what was happening then with Jesus being in a crowd, which would include a leper, 
there, there's just nothing that would that would compare. Like sometimes people say, well, this is like someone with AIDS walking up to you and hugging you or kissing you and having a conversation. No, it's not. It's way worse than that. One of you could have AIDS and I'd never know it. There's no doubt about whether or not somebody has leprosy in this culture. Everyone knows. There's a stigma about this, an identification of the person who's leprous. There's absolutely no doubt about it. This person walks through this crowd that he's on his way to Jesus to talk to him. Let me tell you, the people are backing away. There is a channel. There is a a path for him to follow all the way to Jesus. He doesn't have to say, excuse me, could you let me see Jesus? They all part. To get out of his way so that he can make his way to Jesus. And Jesus goes nowhere. Jesus specifically talks to this person. Look down at verse 5. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed and in terrible suffering. Jesus said, I will go and heal him. Those words are startling. This man is a Roman soldier. He is, by the way, one of those who in a little while is going to participate in the death of Jesus Christ. But Jesus, who knows all of that, is quite willing to go and help this Roman centurion's servant. Is it servant? Yeah. Why? Because he's willing to go and to be with people. In this culture, a centurion has, he was uh, detested by the people. This was one who held them under his thumb. This would be like being in a military state, and this is the military governor who puts you in a position of submission. And Jesus doesn't just honor him by conversing and being willing to talk to him, but yeah, I'll go, I'll help out your servant. Not just you. I'm not trying to do something here to get in your good graces. I'll go and help your servant. Now look at verse 28. When he arrived at the other side in the region of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men coming out from the tombs met him. They were so violent that no one could pass that way. What do you want with us? Son of God, they shouted. Have you come here to torture us before the appointed time? Two personifications of evil come up to Jesus. They know who he is. They call him by name. And Jesus puts himself in their way and ends up ministering to these two. Chapter 9, verse 1. Jesus stepped into a boat, crossed over, and came to his own town. Some men brought to him a paralytic lying on a mat. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. And then he has a big discussion with the teachers of the law. Jesus puts himself in a position to help a paralytic. Notice that he specifically puts himself in a position of controversy opposed to the religious leaders of the day. That's interesting. Jesus is with the common person, healing him, but it stands against those who are specifically religious. Look at verse 18. While he was saying this, a ruler came and knelt before him and said, My daughter has just died, but come and put your hand on her and she will live. Jesus got up and went with him, and so did his disciples. He's right there with the people, ready to go. Somebody's daughter dies, and Jesus wants to help. 
Look down at verse 27. As Jesus went on from there, two blind men followed him, calling out, Have mercy on us, son of David. When he had gone indoors, the blind men came to him and he asked them, Do you believe that I'm able to do this? They said, Yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes and said, According to your faith, it will be done to you. And their sight was restored. Why did blind men become blind in the days of Jesus? Well, when you look at John chapter 9, the answer is very clear among the people. It's because someone has sinned. Who sinned? This man or his parents that he has become blind? Well, these two blind men would be perceived by everybody in the culture as sinful. And Jesus specifically touches their eyes, their point at which the sin has influenced them and heals them. Look at 932. While they were going out, a man who was demon-possessed and could not talk was brought to Jesus. And when the demon was driven out, the man who had been mute spoke. The crowd was amazed and said, nothing like this has ever been done or seen in Israel. And it's not just that he's doing amazing things. It's that he's among the people doing things that have never happened before in terms of a religious leader being with the people. Now flip back quickly to verse 9 again in chapter 9. I want to show you a couple more things. As Jesus went out from there, verse 9 in chapter 9. He saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him, and Matthew got up and followed him. Tax collectors in that society were despised, and Jesus specifically calls a tax collector to come and to be with him as a close follower. And then look at Matthew chapter 11, verse 18. And here there's a discussion again going on about who Jesus is, what he's been doing. There's a challenge to his lifestyle. It says in verse 18 in chapter 11, For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he's a demon. He has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking, and they say here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And that's the claim that was made about Jesus. And so my question today is... An easy one. Where would we find Jesus today? Now, I think on Sunday morning, he might be here. I think he would be. But where are you going to find Jesus most of the time? You're going to find him with his people. You're going to find him out Blessing lives. He would be close to those who are socially unacceptable because they have diseases like AIDS. He would be with those who are despised by society. He would be with those who have questionable reputations. He would be the ones totally captured by evil. He'd be with the sick, the blind, the drunkards, the, the drug abusers, and the poor. And I know that because that's what he did. And he would do it now too. Which raises the question, how about us? What do we need to do? Where do we need to go? With whom do we need to spend time? Because we are the healing arm of God in our world today. If we were to look at other passages in Matthew chapter 10, for example, we would see Jesus sending out his disciples to go. And he says, I want you basically, these are not his exact words, but this is what he means. I want you to go do what I've been doing. And we're called to go 
and do what he has been doing. And so we're not the people who come and sit in a nice building on nice pews the way the world views us. These religious people who come together, who think they have it all together. Not at all. We must be those people who go into the world and who take the message of God's healing hand of Christ. So it's not surprising to me that in the midst of all of this healing and demon casting out all the things that Jesus does, it's not surprising that we read these words, and I'll close with this today. After Jesus had finished instructing his disciples, he went on from there to teach and to preach in the towns of Galilee. When John heard in prison what Christ was doing, he had sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who was to come or should we expect someone else? And it's because things weren't looking all that religious. This wasn't the kind of Jesus he was expecting. And Jesus replies with these words to John. He says, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. Those have leprosy are cured. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. And the good news is preached to the poor. Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. And the call is... To be what Jesus is, doing these things, that's what it means to be church. That's where the church is found. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for the privilege we have of being here this morning. And we do thank you, God, that we have this beautiful building to meet in. We're glad when it's minus 20 outside that we can come here on a warm place and worship together. But God, don't let this place define us. Don't let our gathering here on Sunday morning define us. Let us follow you in ministry. Let that, God, define us. Help us to go into the world. It's through Christ that we pray. Amen.